Part Seven of the Exemplary Novels of Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfound. The Exemplary Novels by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra, translated by Walter K. Kelly. The Licentiate Vidriera, or Dr. Glasscase, Part One. Two students were one day passing along the banks of the Tourmes when they found a boy, about eleven years old, dressed as a laborer and sleeping under a tree. They sent a servant to wake him, and when he had well opened his eyes, they asked him whence he came and what he was doing to be lying asleep and defenseless in that lonely place. The boy replied that he had forgotten the name of his birthplace, but was going to Salamanca, there to seek a master whom he might serve, on condition of being permitted and aided to pursue his studies. The gentleman then asked if he could read, and he replied that he could, and write also. "'It is not from want of memory, then, that you have forgotten the name of your country,' remarked the students. "'Let the cause be what it may,' replied the boy. Neither that nor the name of my parents shall be known to any one until I can do honour to them both. But in what manner do you propose to do them honour? inquired the gentleman. By the results of my studies, said the boy, and when I have rendered myself famous by the learning I mean to acquire. For I have heard that some men have made themselves bishops by their studies. This reply moved the two gentlemen to receive the lad into their service, and take him with them to Salamanca giving him such facilities for studying as it is not unusual for masters to afford in that university to those who serve them. The youth subsequently informed his masters that they might call him Thomas Rodaja, whence the students judged him to be the son of some poor laborer. A day or two after their meeting they caused him to be clothed in a suit of black, and in the course of a few weeks he gave proof of extraordinary talent. He was, besides, very grateful, and laboured so earnestly in the service of his masters, that although in fact exceedingly attentive to his studies, it might well have been thought that he did nothing but wait upon those he served. Now the good service of the valet led the masters to treat him well. Thomas soon became their companion rather than servant, and during eight years, all of which he passed with them, he acquired for himself so high a reputation in the university, by his great ability and excellent conduct, that he was beloved and esteemed by those of every rank. The principal object of Rodaja's study was the law, but he was almost equally distinguished in polite learning, and his memory was matter of marvel to all, and the correctness of his views on all subjects was not less remarkable. The time had now arrived when the studies of his masters were completed, and they returned to their birthplace, which was one of the most important cities in Andalusia. They took Rodaja with them, and he remained in their company for some time, but assailed by a perpetual longing to return to his studies at Salamanca, a city that enchains the will of all who have tasted the amenities of life in that fair seat of learning, he entreated permission of his masters to depart for that purpose. With their usual kindness, 
they accorded him the favour he desired, and took such measures in his behalf, that by their bounty he was supplied with a sufficiency to support him in the university for three years. Rodaha took his leave with manifest proofs of gratitude, and departed from Malaga, for that was the native city of his masters, without further delay. Descending the declivity of the Zambra on the road to Antiquera, he chanced to encounter a gentleman on horseback, gaily accoutred in a rich travelling dress, and attended by two servants, also on horseback, whose company he joined. Their journey thenceforward lay in the same direction, and the gentleman accepted Thomas as his comrade. They discoursed of various matters, and in a short time Rodaha gave such proof of his quality as much delighted his fellow-traveller, while the latter, on his part, soon proved himself to be a kind and courteous man. He told Rodaha that he was a captain of infantry in the service of the king, and that his ensign was then completing their company at Salamanca. He praised the life of a soldier in the highest terms, describing, with much encomium, the many cities and other places visited by those who lead that life. Among other themes of which he spoke were the beauty of Naples, the feasting and pleasures of Palermo, the rich abundance of Milan, and the frequent festivals held in other parts of Lombardy, not omitting the good cheer of the numerous hostelries, in the description of which he broke forth rapturously in the Tuscan language, discoursing of Macarella, Macaroni, and Palastri with the most cordial good will. He expatiated largely on the free enjoyment of life in Italy, and on the pleasures of a soldier's life in general, which he exalted to the skies. But he did not say a word of the chilling night-watch, the perils of the assault, the terrors of battle, the hunger and privation endured in blockages and sieges, or the ruin caused by mines, with other matters of similar kind whereof he might have spoken, but which he passed over in silence although there are those who would consider such things as having something to do with the life of the soldier, not to call them its principal feature. In a word, he said so much on the subject, that the resolution of our Thomas Radaha began to waver, and his inclination went near to fix itself on that life, which is so near a neighbour to death. The captain, whose name was Don Diego de Valdivia, Charmed, on his part, with the handsome looks, cheerful manners, and admirable abilities of Rodaja, entreated him to accompany the march into Italy, were it only for the purpose of seeing the country. He offered him his table, and even, if he would adopt the military life, he proposed to procure him a pair of colours. Nay, he assured him that those of his own regiment would soon be vacant, and should be at his service but little persuasion was required to induce Rodaja's acceptance of a part of this offer. Weighing it in his mind, he considered that it would be well to see Italy and Flanders, to say nothing of other countries, since travel contributes to increase knowledge and discretion. He thought, too, that although he should spend three or even four years in that occupation, yet these, added to the few he then counted, would not make him so old, but that he might afterwards return to his studies. These and other considerations had their weight, and the opportunity being so much to his taste, Rodaja finally told the captain that he would go with him into Italy. 
but it must be on condition of being left at perfect liberty. He would not consent to enlist under his banner, nor to have his name enrolled in the books of the regiment, that he might not be subjected to the restraints of service. The captain represented that his being inscribed on the lists was a matter which involved no duty, and that he would thereby obtain all the appointments with the regular pay according to his rank, while he, Don Diego, would take care that he should have leave of absence whenever he might demand it. Yet Rodaja was not to be moved from his determination. For this, said he, would be to act against the dictates of my conscience and of yours, Senor Captain. I would, besides, much rather go free than be attached to military service in any manner. A conscience so scrupulous is more suitable to the cowl of a monk than the helmet of a soldier, said Don Diego, laughing. But let it be as you will, so we but remain comrades. The first night of their journey they had passed at Antiquera, and, making long stages each day, they speedily arrived at the place where the captain was to join his company. All arrangements being completed, the company began its march with four others to Cartagena, quartering at such places as fell in their way. And now Rodaja could not fail to remark the authority assumed by the commissaries, the intractable character of many among the captains, the rapacity of the quartermasters, and the unreasonable nature of their demands, the fashion in which the paymasters manage their accounts, the complaints of the people, the traffic and exchange of billets, the insolence of the undisciplined troops, their quarrels with the other guests at the inns, the requisition of more rations and other stores than were rightful or necessary, and finally the almost inevitable consequences of all this much besides came under his observation which he could not but see to be in every way wrong and injurious for Rodaja himself he now abandoned the garb of a student and dressed himself parrot fashion as we say conforming to such things as life around him presented the many books he had possessed were now reduced to the horizons of our lady and a garcilazo without comments which he carried in two of his pockets. The party with which he travelled arrived in Cartagena much earlier than he desired, for the very life he led was very pleasant, and each day brought something new and agreeable. At Cartagena the troops embarked in four galleys for Naples, and in his cabin also Kadaha made many observations on the strange life passed in those maritime houses, where, for the most part, a man is devoured by vermin and destroyed by rats, vexed by the sailors, robbed by the galley-slaves, and tormented by the swell of the waters. He endured terrible fear from violent storms and tempests, more especially in the Gulf of Lyon, where they had two, by one of which they were cast on the island of Corsica, while the other drove them back upon Toulon, in France. At last, weary and half-drowned, they reached land in the darkness of the night, and with great difficulty arrived at the most peaceful and beautiful city of Genoa. Having disembarked and hastily visited a church to return thanks for their safety, the captain with all his comrades adjourned to a tavern, where they quickly forgot past storms and tempests in present rejoicing and feasting. 
here they learned to appreciate the respective merits of the different wines presented to them by their active and voluble host the delicacy of trebbiano the fine body of montefiascone the purity of asperino the generous spirit of the wines from candia and soma and the strength of those from the cincovinas or five vineyards neither did they disregard the sweetness and amenity of the signora guarnacha or the rustic bloom of the centola not forgetting even in this bright array the humble romanesco which likewise came in for its meed of praise the host having passed in review all these and other wines of many various qualities offered besides to place before his guests without having any recourse to magic and not as one marks down places on a map but in all their vivid reality madriga coca alacios and the imperial rather than royal city that favourite abode of the god of smiles ciudad real he furthermore offered esquibias alanis cazala guadalcanal and membria without forgetting the wines of ribidavia or of descargamaria at a word the host offered and even gave them more wines than bacchus himself could have stored in all his cellars nor was the good thomas unmindful of the admiration due to the radiant locks of the genoese maidens renowned for these fair tresses while he likewise appreciated the obliging and cheerful disposition of the male inhabitants and was never weary of expatiating on the beauty of the city itself which as you look at it from the sea appears to hold the houses enchased amidst the rocks as diamonds are set in gold the day after their arrival much of the companies as were destined for piedmont were disembarked rodaja however had no wish to proceed thither but determined to go from genoa by land to rome and naples and return by the way of our lady of loreto to the great and magnificent venice and thence to milan and piedmont where it was agreed that he should rejoin don diego if the latter had not previously been compelled to set off for flanders as was expected two days after these arrangements were made Wadaha took leave of the captain and in five days from that time he reached florence having first seen lucca a city which is small but very well built and one where spaniards are more kindly received and better treated than in any other part of italy with florence rodaja was infinitely delighted as well for the pleasantness of its position as for its sumptuous buildings its fine river agreeable streets and cleanliness of aspect he remained there but four days and then departed for rome the queen of cities and mistress of the world whose temples he visited whose relics he adored and whose grandeur he admired and as from the claws of the lion you may judge of its mass and force so did rodaja infer the greatness of rome from the fragments of her marbles her statues broken or entire her arches fallen or fractured her baths crumbled to ruin her magnificent porticos and vast amphitheatres her renowned and holy river which ever fills the banks with water to the brim while it blesseth them with innumerable remains of the martyrs whose bodies have found a burial beneath its waves nor did our traveller fail to estimate the beauty of the bridges 
which one might fancy to be admiring each other, or the streets, which, by their very names alone, claim authority and preeminence over those of all other cities in the world, the Via Flaminia, for example, the Via Iulia, the Appia, and others of the same character. No less was Redaha satisfied with the division of those hills which exist within the city itself, the Calian, the Curinal, the Vatican, and the other four, whose very names bear evidence to the Roman greatness and majesty. He took careful note, moreover, of that authority which attaches to the College of Cardinals, and of the dignity represented in the person of the Supreme Pontiff. Nor did he suffer to pass unnoticed that great concourse and variety of men from all nations ever congregated within the walls of the city. All these things Rodaha admired, reflected on, and arranged in the order of their importance, and having made the station of the seven churches, confessed to a penitentiary, and kissed the feet of his holiness, he departed, well loaded with unused days and legends, determining thence to proceed to Naples. But the time was one of important changes and much disorder. This rendered the roads dangerous for all deserving to enter or travel out of Rome, and as he had come to the city by land, so he now resolved to depart by sea, wherefore, proceeding to the port of Ostia, he there embarked, and having reached Naples, added to the satisfaction which he had previously felt at seeing Rome, that of finding himself in a city, in his estimation, and in the opinion of all who have seen it, the finest in Europe, or even in the whole world. From Naples, Rodaja proceeded to Sicily, where he visited Palermo and Messina, the first of these cities he admired for the advantages of its position and its beauty, and the second for the convenience of its port, while to the whole island he could not but offer the tribute of his praise for that abundance which causes it to be justly denominated the granary of all Italy. Returning from Sicily to Naples and Rome, Rodaja thence proceeded to Our Lady of Loreto, in whose holy temple he could see neither walls nor partitions, since every part was covered with crutches, beers, shrouds, chains, padlocks, fetters, and locks of hair, with arms, hands, legs, and busts in wax to say nothing of pictures and prints, all giving manifest indication of the mercies and favours innumerable which hundreds of men have received in that place from the hand of God by the intercession of his divine mother, whose sacred image, there preserved, he has been pleased to exalt and sanction by a vast number of miracles, which have been performed in recompense of the devotion of her votaries for by them it is that the walls of her house have been adorned in the manner described. Here Bodaha beheld that very chamber of the Virgin, wherein was delivered the most stupendous embassy ever heard, or witnessed by all the heavens, all the angels, and all the archangels, or other inhabitants of the everlasting abodes. From this place our traveller proceeded to Ancona, where he embarked and repaired to Venice, a city which had Columbus never appeared in the world, certainly be still supposed to have no equal. But by the favor of heaven, and thanks to the great Fernando Cortes, who conquered Mexico, the magnificent Venice has now found a city that may be compared to herself. The streets of these two renowned capitals, 
which are almost wholly of water, make them the admiration and terror of all mankind, that of Europe dominating the old world, and that of America the new. For of the former, it would appear that her riches are infinite, her position impregnable, her government most wise, the abundance of her products inexhaustible. In a word, she is herself, as a whole, and in all her parts, entirely worthy of that fame for greatness and majesty which has penetrated to all the regions of the world. The justice of the praise bestowed on Venice is, besides, accredited by her renowned arsenal, wherein are constructed her potent galleys, with other vessels of which the number is not to be told. To our curious traveller the delights and pastimes found in Venice had almost proved fatal as those of Calypso, since they had nearly caused him to forget his first intentions. Yet when he had passed a month in that enduring place, he found resolution to continue his journey, passing by Ferrara, Parma, and Placentia, to Milan, the workshop of Vulcan, that grudge and despair of France, that superb city of which more wonders are reported than words can tell, her own grandeur being increased by that of her famous temple, and by the marvellous abundance of all things necessary to human life that are to be found therein. From Milan, Rodaja journeyed to Asti, where he arrived in very good time, since the regiment of Don Diego was to depart for Flanders on the following day. He was received very kindly by his friend, the captain, with whom he passed into Flanders, and arrived at Antwerp, a city no less worthy of admiration than those which he had seen in Italy. He visited Ghent and Brussels likewise, finding the whole country preparing to take arms, and well disposed to enter on the campaign of the following year. Rodaja, having now seen all that he had desired to behold, resolved to return to his native Spain and to the city of Salamanca, there to complete his studies. He had no sooner determined than he instantly put his purpose into execution, to the great regret of his friend, who, finding him resolved to depart, entreated him at least to write him word of his safe arrival, and likewise of his future success. This Rodaja promised to do, and then returned to Spain through France, but he did not see Paris, which was at that time in arms. At length he arrived at Salamanca, where he was well received by his friends, and with the facilities which they procured him, he continued his studies until he finally attained to the degree of Doctor of Laws. Now it chanced that about this time there arrived in Salamanca one of those ladies who belong to all points of the compass. She was besides well furnished with devices of every colour. To the whistle and bird-call of this fowler there instantly came flocking all the birds of the place, nor was there a vade mecum who refrained from paying a visit to that gay decoy. Among the rest our Thomas was informed that the Signora said she had been in Italy and Flanders when he, to ascertain if he were acquainted with the dame, likewise paid her a visit. She, on her part, immediately fell in love with Rodaja, but he rejected her advances, and never approached her house but when led thither by others, and almost by force. Attending much more zealously to his studies than his amusements, he did not in any manner return her affection, 
even when she had made it known to him by the offer of her hand and all her possessions. Seeing herself thus scorned, and perceiving that she could not bend the will of Rodaha by ordinary means, the woman determined to seek others which, in her opinion, would be more efficacious, and must, as she thought, ensure the desired effect. So, by the advice of a Morisco woman, she took a Toledan quince, and in that fruit she gave him one of those contrivances called charms, thinking that she was thereby forcing him to love her, and, as if there were in the world herbs, enchantments, or words of power sufficient to enchain the free will of any creature. These things are called charms, but they are in fact poisons, and those who administer them are actual poisoners, as has been proved by sundry experiences. In an unhappy moment Rodaha ate the quince, but had scarcely done so when he began to tremble from head to foot, as if struck by apoplexy, remaining many hours before he could be brought to himself. At the end of that time he partially recovered, but appeared to have become almost an idiot. He complained, with a stammering tongue and feeble voice, that a quince which he had eaten had poisoned him, and also found means to intimate by whom it had been given, when justice at once began to move in quest of the criminal. But she, perceiving the failure of her attempt, took care to hide herself, and never appeared again. Six months did Thomas remain confined to his bed, and during that time he not only became reduced to a skeleton, but seemed also to have lost the use of his faculties. Every remedy that could be thought of was tried in his behalf, but although the physicians succeeded in curing the physical malady, they could not remove that of the mind, so that when he was at last pronounced cured, he was still afflicted with the strangest madness that was ever heard of among the many kinds by which humanity had been assailed. The unhappy man imagined that he was entirely made of glass, and possessed with this idea, when any one approached him, he would utter the most terrible outcries, begging and besieging them not to come near him, or they would assuredly break him to pieces, as he was not like other men, but entirely of glass from head to foot. In the hope of rousing him from this strange hallucination, many persons, without regard to his prayers and cries, threw themselves upon him and embraced him, bidding him observe that he was not broken for all that. But all they gained by this was to see the poor creature sing to the earth, uttering lamentable moans, and instantly fall into a fainting fit, from which he could not be recovered for several hours. Nay, when he did recover, it was but to renew his complaints, from which he never desisted, but to implore that such a misfortune might not be suffered to happen again. He exhorted every one to speak to him from a great distance, declaring that on this condition they might ask him what they pleased, and that he could reply with all the more effect, now he was a man of glass and not a flesh of bones, since glass, being a substance of more delicate subtlety, permits the soul to act with more promptitude and efficacy than it can be expected to do in the heavier body formed of mere earth. Certain persons then desiring to ascertain if what he had said was true, asked him many questions of great difficulty respecting various circumstances. To all these he replied with utmost acuteness, 
insomuch that his answers awakened astonishment in the most learned professors of medicine and philosophy whom that university could boast and well they might be amazed at seeing a man who was subject to so strange an hallucination as that of believing himself to be made of glass still retained such extraordinary judgment on other points as to be capable of answering difficult questions with marvellous propriety and truth which distinguished the replies of rodaja the poor man had often entreated that some case might be given to him wherein he might disclose the brittle vase of his body so that he might not break it in putting on the ordinary clothing he was consequently furnished with a surplus of ample width and a cloth wrapper which he folded around him with much care, confining it to his waist with a girdle of soft cotton, but he would not wear any kind of shoes. The method he adopted to prevent anyone from approaching him when they brought him food was to fix an earthen pot into the cleft of a stick prepared for that purpose, and in this vessel he would receive such fruits as the season presented. He would not eat flesh or fish, nor would he drink anything but the water of the river, which he lapped from his hands. In passing through the streets, Rodaja was in the habit of walking carefully in the middle of them, lest a tile should fall from the houses upon his head and break it. In the summer he slept in the open air, and in the winter he lodged at one of the inns, where he buried himself in straw to his throat, remarking that this was the most proper and secure bed for men of glass. When it thundered, Rodaja trembled like an aspen leaf, and would rush out into the fields, not returning to the city until the storm had passed. His friends kept him shut up for some time, but perceiving that his malady increased, they at last complied with his earnest request that they would let him go about freely, and he might be seen walking through the streets of the city, dressed as we have described to the astonishment and regret of all who knew him. The boy soon got about him, but he kept them off with his staff, requesting them to speak to him from a distance, lest they should break him, seeing that he, being a man of glass, was exceedingly tender and brittle. But far from listening to his request, the boys, who are the most perverse generation in the world, soon began to throw various missiles and even stones at him notwithstanding all his prayers and exclamations. They declared that they wished to see if he were in truth of glass, as he affirmed, but the lamentations and outcries of the poor maniac induced the grown persons who were near to reprove and even beat the boys, whom they drove away for the moment, but who did not fail to return at the next opportunity. One day, that a horde of these tormentors had pursued him with more than their usual pertinacity, and had worn out his patience, he turned to them, saying, "'What do you want with me, you varlets, more obstinate than flies, more disgusting than chinches, and bolder than the boldest fleas? Am I perchance the Monte Testacio of Rome, that you cast upon me so many potsherds and tiles?' But Wadaha was followed by many who kept about him for the purpose of hearing him reply to the questions asked or reprove the questioner, as the case might be, and after a time even the boys found it more amusing to listen to his words and to throw tiles at him, when they gave him, for the most part, somewhat less annoyance. The maniac Rodaja was one day passing through the ropery at Salamanca, 
when a woman who was working there accosted him, and said, "'By my soul, Signor Doctor, I am sorry for your misfortune, but what shall I do for you, since try as I may I cannot weep?' To which Rodaja, fixedly regarding her, gravely replied, "'Felice Jerusalem, plorate super vos et super filios vestros.' The husband of the rope-worker was standing by. Comprehending the reply, he said to Rodaja, "'Brother Glass-Case, for so they tell me you are to be called, you have more of the rogue than the fool in you.' "'You are not called on to give me an obelisk,' rejoined Rodaja, "'for I have not a grain of the fool about me.' One day that he was passing near a house well known as the resort of thieves and other disorderly persons, he saw several of the inhabitants assembled round the door, and called out, "'See, here you have baggage belonging to the army of Satan, and it is judged in the house of hell accordingly.' A man asked him what advice he should give to a friend whose wife had left him for another, and who was in great sorrow for her loss. "'You shall bid him thank God,' replied Rudaha, "'for the favour he has obtained, in that his enemy is removed from his house.' "'Then you would not have him go seek her?' inquired the other. "'Let him not even think of doing so,' replied Rodaja. "'For if he find her, what will he have gained but the perpetual evidence of his dishonour?' "'And what shall I do to keep peace with my own wife?' inquired the same person. "'Give her all that she can need or rightfully claim,' said the maniac, "'and let her be mistress of every person and thing thy house contains.' but take care that she be not mistress of thyself. A boy one day said to him, Signor Glasskis, I have a mind to run away from my father, and leave my home for ever, because he beats me. I would have thee beware, boy, replied Rodaja. The stripes given by a father are no dishonour to the son, and may save him from those of the hangman, are indeed a disgrace. The intelligence of his peculiar state, with a description of the replies he gave, and the remarks he uttered, was much spread abroad, more especially among those who had known him in different parts, and great sorrow was expressed for the loss of a man who had given so fair a promise of distinction. A person of high rank then at court wrote to a friend of his at Salamanca, begging that Rodaja might be sent to him at Valladolid, and charging his friend to make all needful arrangements for that purpose. The gentleman consequently accosted Vidriera the next time he met him, and said, Signor Glasscase, you are to know that a great noble of the court is anxious to have you go to Valladolid. Whereupon Rodaja replied, Your worship would excuse me to that nobleman, and say that I am not fit to dwell at court, nor in the palace, because I have some sense of shame left, and do not know how to flatter. He was nevertheless persuaded to go, and the mode in which he travelled was as follows. A large pannier of that kind in which glass is transported was prepared, and in this Rodaja was placed, well defended by straw, which was brought up to his neck, the opposite pannier being carefully balanced by means of stones, among which appeared the necks of bottles, since Rodaja desired it to be understood that he was sent as a vessel of glass. In this fashion he journeyed to Valladolid, which city he entered by night, and was not unpacked until he had first been carefully deposited in the house of a noble who had requested his presence. 
By this gentleman he was received with much kindness, and the latter said to him, "'You are extremely welcome, Dr. Glasscase. I hope you have had a pleasant journey.' Rodaha replied that no journey could be called a bad one if it took you safe to your end, unless indeed it were that which led to the gallows. End of the Licentiate Vidriera, or Dr. Glasscase, Part One.